Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. We are joined here, J.J. Cooper and John Manuel. And yes, we are succumbing to what is being discussed. This is where baseball news you can't find anywhere else. This is, today we'll call it and we would hope that this is a look at the Tim Tebow signing that you won't find anywhere else. Yes, we know that you can get Tim Tebow news everywhere, but we actually are going to try to look at it from the standpoint of, of kind of the logistics, how this works for a team, all that. Right. And so with that, John, I will start with, I think we probably should put, you know, our views on the table to start with, which is, is neither of us fits into the this is a disaster for the game, this is terrible, this is horrible, how could baseball do this? Yeah, I just don't, I guess I don't quite understand, the part I understand of why people are upset about it, the ones who are upset, is they just don't like Tim Tebow, period. And I guess I understand that. I've tried so hard over the last few years to totally detach myself from football, but, you know, Tebow hasn't played for the last three years, so I remember when he played football, and I remember thinking, what is the deal with this guy? Like, you know, why was there so much hullabaloo? Um, I, there, so there's two, word, two words for that. I'm not saying it's all of it. but And uh, two words that I generally try to not retweet, not mention, but Skip Bayless. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, it's basically yeah. you have someone who literally... Yeah, ESPN really, like, with, with Skip Bayless, and what was that show called? Uh, First Thank, Take? For, First take. That show really hitched its star to the Tim hey, Tebow debate. Hey, let's Tim Tebow every day. And it, and it, it did. I mean, it was like almost empirically proven by that Deadspin article that, yeah, they went. They realized, hmm, when we talk Tebow, Brady's so I guess there is a Brady to go up. So there, there was this visceral reaction to Tim Tebow signing with the Mets. I didn't have that reaction until right before we recorded the podcast when you re- told me that, A, he signed for a $100,000 signing bonus. Which we both think is... Beyond, I guess that's the most that you can get in your bonus pool. That was the most they had in their bonus pool to give him without the penalty. I do not. That's the part I do not understand. I'd have given him one dollar and said like, or I would have said, here's a hundred thousand dollars, but take it out of your fees for the SEC network, and that's part two that he's still going to take those Saturdays off basically and go not to the SEC network. Right. I mean, who knows? Because he works during the week. I mean, he talks. You know, and. Now, I will say, this is if we're talking only instructs, instructs, this is where I wanted to start with, because this is something that you don't get everywhere. Instructs is a different bird. Yeah, an extended spring training or minor league spring training. But really, but right now, because right now what we're talking about is is if he's leaving during the season, even an extended, to go away and and do stuff, that's to me an even further. That's like okay, right. you're not serious about this. Yeah, I can't. I, I but really, it, but in instructs, I because John, you've been you know a couple instru- times, and instructs is different than almost any other form of what minor league baseball is. It what is, is Tim Tebow going to be doing? Because Tim Tebow, right now, the only thing we know he's going to do is he's going to instructs. If he misses one game a week in instructional league to go to Charlotte or wherever the SEC. Tar- uh, SEC Network is located. That really wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to me because um, Tim Tebow could make up for it. On Thursday and Friday leading up to when he's going to be gone, hey, you know, we're going to have Tim Tebow get six at-bats today. So he's going to lead off every other inning. 
uh, or he's going to lead off uh, every inning, every right? inning for until the sixth through the sixth inning. You can do that in instructionally. If We're going to put Tim Tebow on first base at saying, the start of every inning so think, he can work on base stealing. Exactly. If you think he needs it, you could go play that inning. Uh, it is kind of like extended spring where you do see on the backfield in spring training, hey, this inning, Jason Worth is, is on the minor league backfield, and he's going to lead off every inning of, the, of this game. I've, this, I, in know, fact, I've actually seen Jason Worth do that. Yeah, I saw it last <laughs> spring myself uh, in, uh, in Brevard County. So, so you can do those kind of things in extended spring or in instructs. The th- normally, the game, you they, they're not even games. Right. I mean, that's like they, they keep score, but there's no standings. They keep stats, but there's no. They're not posted. So everything's evaluated, and I'm sure that there might be some TrackMan data or some pitch effects data they might get on him, batted ball data, stat cast. Mm-hmm. You know that that they could get that if they want to. This in instructional league, they could get data, but it's not usually that stuff doesn't get publicized. That's the difference with Tim Tebow. Everything will be publicized. I mean, we made fun of his pants from his workout, you know, because there was so much video and so much coverage of it. So the pod, the benefit the Mets could get out of signing Tim Tebow is they could get some positive press from fans who are pro-Tebow. They could get some money out and, of Tebow and, and jerseys. And, and this is a team. I mean, I do think one of the key things with this is whoever was going to sign them was likely to be a team that has spring training in Florida, not right. Arizona. Right. I mean, because... Tim Tebow is yeah. Florida Gator football. So. Absolutely. He really, I mean, basically what the Mets did was they signed hashtag Florida man. But he has, he's a little cleaner living than Florida man. But that, that, would, be my, that would be my headline, Mets signed Florida man. Because um, he is a Florida man. And the Mets have not only spring training there, they have obviously their extended springs there, but also their high class A team, St. Lucie, right. is there and is owned by the club. Right, so you know maybe this digs them a little bit out of uh, the hole the Wilpons are in financially. Probably isn't the whole part of the plan. By, by the way, I just looked this part. up: fourteen hundred per game for uh, St. Lucie this past year. If Tim Tebow was that second or third of the Florida State League, middle of the pack, but okay. the, the but the the top end of the Florida State League is not that high above that. Right, and it is fair to say if Tim Tebow ends up in St. Lucie next year, and I don't think right now it is a sure bet that Tim Tebow will play a full minor league season. I, I don't think that you can in any way feel confident that that's going to happen. But right. if he does, and he's in St. Lucie, which, I mean, again, let, trying to treat this from a developmental standpoint, yeah. that you've got to push him. Yeah, exactly. He, is he probably ready for that? No. But you can't really say, hey, that this next year is a 29-year-old. Our hope is at the end of the year you'll be ready for some time in Brooklyn. You could, right? But then you're okay. Well, so next year you're going to go from Brooklyn as a to Columbia. Yeah, what would be really the point? Really, I mean, the only there aren't very many comparable situations for this, JJ. So I think I always end up going back to the way the White Sox did this with Michael Jordan, and you know Michael Jordan had played less baseball than Tim Tebow, and is six foot six. Tebow is six three. Now, Jordan is looser than, than Tebow. Yes, much. I think I might be looser than Tebow. Probably not. But um, that dude's 6'3 and a heavily muscled 255. 6'3 and, and jacked. Yeah, totally pumped and jacked. And, you know, he really needs to spend, it feels like, the next six months just getting loose after instructs. You know, that's that should retraining his body for a baseball body um, would be a, a, a big step for him, I would imagine, to really see what we've really got. But... He just needs reps. So instructional league, that's why it's so surprising that he would go play football, do the, not play football, do the SEC network thing. 
Because any reps that he loses is a bad idea. I, well, think he, I the, feel like he needs reps. And the tough call after this is, is that Sandy Alderson even said, after that, you know, maybe AFL, maybe winter ball. And obviously there's already an, an offer out there from at least one, uh, I think it was LaGuara, has offered him for winter ball. Mm-hmm. There's the thing that I'm interested with that. AFL, if you are over your head in the grand scheme of things, it matters not at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Tim Tebow, where everyone will right. notice. But still, but yes. still you are allowed no, to fail. There is no one. Corey Seager, Corey Seager, two years ago, after his low A season, went to the Fall League and stunk on toast. Mike Trout. It didn't was, exactly. Mike Trout, a gas Mike Trout, yeah. after playing in the big leagues, goes to the AFL and was one of the worst stretches Mike Trout's ever had as a pro. He could go there and he could go over. Right. And right. no one's getting fired. No, you know, they're not making a change with the manager, you know, for the Seguros or anyone. I right. Mean, that's not going to happen. That's not how winter ball in Latin America rolls. In, I, I can't, <laughs> you can't go in, in a lot of these winter leagues, I, players know. I mean, that you are something where an, an 0 for 10 stretch. Maybe okay. Well, I'm out of a job. That's right. If you're a manager in these winter leagues, a lot of times it's two in a row. Yeah, I was going to say, so and so on their third manager of the month. That's right. I mean, this is something where this is high pressure, and I don't see because as much as Tim Tebow may be a draw, I don't see him being that much of a draw in winter ball compared to the main thing in winter ball is you're trying to win. Yeah, the only winter ball situations that make any sense for me, from in my opinion, are a Puerto Rico. Just because that league needs attention, it could that that league needs financial help, and you know it's closer to Florida. I assume that there's if there's anywhere we're gonna have more cultural overlap, it'll be in the one winter ball league that is a Commonwealth of the United States. B the one that makes sense is Australia. Australia makes all kinds of sense because Australia's league is so long; it's not officially affiliated with MLB anymore. But it's but it, you know last I just was talking to a manager who uh, coached in Australia last year, and he said yeah he went. Uh, full season uh, minor league baseball took a week off. Instructional league last year two weeks off. Australia league one week off. Right back into the regular season uh, to, to spring training. So if you want the maximum reps, you well, would go to Australia. Not only you want the maximum reps, but Australia is a league where and the cal- caliber of competition also. The caliber of competition lower. is lower, and not a knock against Australia. It's just the reality of it, and. A league that also, from a financial standpoint, you're not going to. It would draw more attention in the U.S. And yes. maybe there's some. You sell some. You sell, sell some subscriptions to, to to stream the games. That's what right. you do. You know, you sell <laughs> the some, North Woods League can stream their games. You, uh, you sell you sell some jerseys. You yeah. know, some hats in the U.S. Things like that. Tebow jerseys and all that. Right. But that is the odd part of this is that the timing of this, in some ways. I've said this before on the podcast. It feels like a weird timing for this because I agree. Not that you don't work on building up for baseball if you're Tim Tebow, if this is your dream. And again, I'm not going to get into the motivations. I'm not feel. I do not feel comfortable. I know he's selling autographs, baseball stuff, and all this. Maybe it is just a marketing. Is he board. already doing that? Yeah, but but at the same time, the deal with Adidas. Don't forget that part. Yes, but at the same time. If it's just a marketing ploy, this is a pretty poor idea of a marketing ploy from the standpoint of baseball is a game that it is guaranteed if Tim Tebow gives this half an effort, he's going to be embarrassed on the field. Right. Because Tim Tebow is going to be far behind the guys he's competing with. No doubt. And so Michael Jordan, it was not 
a ploy for anything. It takes something to go out there and go 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. Right. And then the next day go, I'm stepping back on the field again and I'm going to do this again. Yeah, the only, one, the only ones who think it was a ploy uh, are the conspiracy theorists on the NBA who think that Stern made him leave for a yeah. year. So if you've heard of Bill Simmons' podcast over the last 10 years, you've heard that conspiracy theory. Um, I'm with you. I, don't, I, th- I think Jordan did it out of some love for the game. I generally think and that's mostly why Tebow's doing it. But there are these ancillary parts, the Adidas thing, the autograph stuff. That well, I don't think he's doing this just to keep his name out there. Partly, it's a bad I idea. Think it's but, partly. but I think his ego is such that that part needs to get stroked no matter what he's doing. The other thing, the other misconception that I, that I feel like is out there that I did want to address was when, we, when you talk about your, your seeing today, he's taking the job from someone who's more deserving. Yeah. He's taking away a job from someone who could who could be a big leaguer. And instead, if he makes if he ever makes an instructor not taking anyone's job. Right. But if you make full season if you make a team next year, you're taking a job. And the the bucket of cold water that I hate to throw on this is <laughs> and we've talked about this me and you over and over is in the in the office is when you talk about short season ball low class A, even high class A, there are players on every one of those teams whose entire job is you have to have a 24, 25-man roster so that the prospects can play. Absolutely. You're you're cannon fodder in some ways. If you look at the numbers, like, okay, take the Brooklyn Cyclones, which that's the the Mets' short-season club. Let's say that he goes to Brooklyn next year. Of, I looked this up today, of the ninth, of the 18 position players that they had last year who played for Brooklyn, more than a third of them, that's the last time they ever played affiliate baseball. Not A year later... Not a were, good retention rate. Right. And that's not unusual. That's just the reality of it is. So I don't understand why he gets $100,000. I don't understand that from the standpoint of... I don't see that the Mets are going... I guess you could say from a financial standpoint... They may sell enough merchandise to make up for that or something, but I don't see. It's was a there a bidding war? I, I, I mean, agree. It's a, it's a vexing one. I mean, the, obviously, the only other team I can I remember hearing about that had expressed interest was the Braves. I mean, I know there are other teams out there who are at least interested, but generally, interested in a situation like this isn't. We'll give you a, a, yeah. a significant a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus for a non drafted free agent. Puts Tim Tebow crazy enough. Among the top non-drafted free agents of this year, it does. There's no not, TJ Friedel. Exactly, but, but that money was already. I mean, the Rays had a lot of money left. They, they decided not to because they were in the bidding war for TJ Friedel. They decided not to spend it on the Tim Reds. Tebow. The Reds were out of it at this point because they've spent their money on Friedel. Right. They couldn't go. You know, it would have almost made more sense for the Rays. That's an organization that's just desperate for positive attention. Uh, if anyone could fill up that, uh, if he eventually got to the major leagues. Which I think the chances of that are very, very slim. I but I will say this: I don't think that they're zero. No, they're not zero. I definitely don't. Think I don't think that this is like that's I've one. I've been thing. on enough radio shows about that where people say he has no chance. It's like, well, no, we don't know that. Let's watch him. He play. has legitimate power, and that's the other part of it that isn't a fluke. Is he does have? How can you watch the video of the workout or his BPs and not see the strength in his swing? I mean. He clearly has actual power potential, and at six three, he's more likely to get to it than someone who was six six like Jordan. That was, that was again. I keep making that comparison. That's what I had in my Twitter at, at John Manuel VA. I had that poll. I've been trying to find it. I can't find it in my own Twitter. 
Um, but to me, um, that's why the Mets do this, really, is that they do have some thought that he could actually produce power and get to his power. I don't know how likely it is, but, but would you I say, don't rule it out. I mean, and the reality is, again, when you say, okay, uh, he could get to the power, let's say that there's a .01% chance that he's a big leaguer. Well, again, that .01% chance is equal or greater than some of the players that the Mets drafted and signed this year. Exactly. Again, you, you always hope that a guy is going to exceed your expectations, but there are guys who are drafted this year by every team yep. who, if the scout who signed them was given truth serum, they would say, no, I don't think this guy's a big one. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. There's 40 rounds of draft. So there's I, a lot of. I mean, we of, both have seen a lot of yeah. low level minor league baseball. And again, look, the, the worst players that you see on a minor league baseball field are really good baseball players. Exactly. That's the why they're there. That's right. But you will see, if you go to a Class A game, I promise you, you will every night at a Class A game, you will see players who have literally no hope. Right. They do not have the skills that are needed, the tools that are needed to be big leaguers. And they know it. And a lot of times they even know it. Yes, a lot of times, sometimes they don't, but a lot of times they do, and they know, you know what? I love playing baseball. They haven't told me to stop yet. That's right. That's right. I mean, you you have guys at the end, you have veterans, and I mean veterans, 23, 24, 25-year-olds in Class A, who at the end of the year know this is probably it for me. Right. Like, I know that when I go to spring training next year, if I make it to spring training next year, it's unlikely that I'll be invited back. You know, to, I'll actually make a team. Exactly. And they're doing it because, again, I'm a pro baseball player. They gave me the opportunity. I'm not stopping this until someone tells me. I would rather do this than get a real job. And <laughs> they love the game. That's right. You know, and, and I mean, it's funny, like, this ties in with. Story I did a couple of days ago. The Cardinals called up, just called up, Jose Martinez. Yeah. Who, I, Jose Martinez is a guy. Now, this is, again, why Tebow, you know, why you give guys like Tebow a chance. Jose Martinez was released. Well, not released. Excuse me. He was a minor league free agent that no one called. And he was a White Sox top ten prospect long ago, correct? Like when he was 2007. Right. Long ago is long ago. Clayton Kershaw... All those guys were like, those were the guys who were prospects at the time. Clayton right. Kershaw, Andrew McCutcheon, guys like that. Well, Jose Martinez is a guy who, at that point, was a prospect, blew his knee out. That was also, I believe, like, not it was the a thin, bottom, it was a thin but it was White a thin Sox. White Sox. I, it, it, to been the year to that him to be Rogers. a top 10 prospect, he was a top 10 prospect. And he had yet to play full season ball. That may have been the year that Phil Rogers also did like an epic, like, five hour chat. Like in his house in Chicago, he was on his deck, or he was on vacation. I seem to recall that he did our White Sox list that year, and did uh, just one of the most epic chats in BA history. But um, shout out to Phil. But he was a minor league free agent who no one called, so he went to right. the indie ball. Eventually, the Braves called, said, "Hey, we've got a job in High A." This is the guy who spent the last three years in Double A. He took the job in High A. If you're a 25 year old, 26 year old in High A, you are not. A priority. You are not you are not on the path to the big leagues. But then the next year, he ended up a Royal. He goes to AAA because they get a couple of promotions, so he's a filling guy. He hits over 380 there, sets a PCL batting champ record. 
batting record for a modern era. You know, it was the Miles Straw of 2015. Exactly. And then this year he gets rewarded from that with a call-up. Now it's probably all he's going to have. You know, he may never play in the big leagues again, but if he doesn't, he's a big leaguer. That's why a lot of these guys do this. You never know what's going to happen. Well, JJ, my favorite part of that, and I'll wrap up my part of the podcast, is that he got called up not the year that he hit 380. No. It was the next year. Because if he got called up last year, he was at the Royals, right? He was in Omaha. Could have been around, could have gotten a playoff share or something, could have gotten maybe a look at the trophy, could have said, ah, I was on that team in September, um, but obviously it was close for the Royals. And oh, it wasn't close to them getting in the playoffs last year, was it? Didn't they run away with the division? I mean, but it's shocking. But he wasn't on their forty man last year at that time, right? But it just, it just and they ended up making, and they put him on it later. That's what's weird. That's the thing. That's the everything about Jose Martinez's story is weird. But that to me is the weirdest part. Weird? He gets called up when he's having a perfectly he's normal, normal Jose Martinez season, season, not the year where he hits three eighty. John Lindsay, when he got his cup of coffee, it was the year that John Lindsay went. Hey, I'm going to hit three seventy. That's year. right. I'm going to take advantage of Albuquerque to the fullest extent of the law. So. Well, yeah. not, not that quite. He wasn't. He didn't go uh, Walter uh, Walter White on you, but he, he 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 hit three eighty with power. But uh, the Tebow story is, um, you you can't not talk about it. Is that's the problem with it? He is such a polarizing guy, JJ. And we're in a polarized <laughs> society. So, hey, hey, why not be polarized about uh, Tim uh, Tebow again? Too? The, the thing that I say is is that the benefit for if you're a baseball fan who is completely sick of Tebow, the one benefit that may come out of this is you may see live, you know, streaming yeah. of. Instruct games or, Arizona, and, or Australian baseball league games, and and what's well, that already happens though? But instructs no one. Australia, really? Oh yeah, I've watched Australian games. All right, I, I assume Tyler Mon on the call. I, I do believe he may okay. have been actually, but instructs games which never you never see otherwise, and so you may get some video of you may see other prospects who'd be interesting to see, even if you don't have any interest in Tim Tebow. My instruct story always is uh, 1998 instructs because I've been to one in Arizona, but uh, 1998 in Florida instructs. Uh, where the shortstops were Ramon Santiago and Rafael Fercal in the game, both of them long gone from the big leagues now. But uh, the pitcher stepping off the mound and the whole bo- both sides watching as uh, this space shuttle with John Glenn on it took off from Cape Canaveral. We could see it from, from Lakeland. That was pretty cool. So Kyle Glazer is going to join JJ to talk a little bit more minor leagues. I think. I don't know. I haven't talked to Kyle. Oh, he said he, no, he okay. tweeted. He's on. Okay. And, uh, but thank you for the time, JJ. And now we're back, and now we are joined. J.J. Cooper still here. John is headed off, but we brought in Kyle Glazer. And Kyle and I are going to talk, uh, if you go to BaseballAmerica.com this week, in the magazine that we are sending the press now that has all the uh, final stats for all the minor leagues. And then we also have our minor league all-star team. We're not announcing yet who our 2016 minor league player of the year is. We will give you one hint. He's going to be on the 2016 minor league all-star team. We don't name players of the year and don't put them on the team. So I would hope so. <laughs> you know, hey, second team for the all-star team, but he was player of the year. So if you are looking for a little hint, you will, you know, they are, our player of the year is on the minor league all-star team. One of these 15. One of these 15 <laughs> really helps narrow it down. But Kyle, I mean, when I look at this team, when you look at this team, the first question I guess we'll start with is, is hitters or pitchers? Which are you more impressed with, you know, as far as the seasons that we had this year in the minors? For me, it's the hitters. I think across the board, you look at what David Dahl did, what Tyler O'Neill did, what Alex Bregman did, what Yohan Mankata did. I mean, all these guys just zoomed up their levels. You know, they all made huge jumps. 
And then you even take into account some guys who didn't make our teams. I mean, even the Hunter Renfro's of the world. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of guys throughout this year who really made a jump, whether it was in their approach, their their swing and miss rates, their power output. I mean, I feel like we saw so much development from so many different hitters this year. I don't know, maybe it's just me, and, and there's probably some more numbers out there on this, but I felt like we had less of the premier hitters do kind of the big drop-off this year. I felt like a lot of the guys who we had questions about, like a Tyler O'Neill after you know striking out 32% of the time uh, at Bakersfield last year, made the jump and made it really, really well. I felt like that, to me, just seemed like a common theme throughout the year as we did our midseason prospect rankings and these minor league all-star teams. No, I agree. I think the flip side of that is is that this was not a great year. You look at just like last year. Last year, Blake Snell was our 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 player of the year, you know. And there wasn't anyone this year in the minors on the pitching side. I felt like who had that kind of that kind of dominant year. Partly maybe that's because some guys were called up. I mean, you know, saw Glasnow get called up. Jason Tyone, Giolito was up for a while. Uh, Julio Urias, you know, came up. All that. But I think the other part of it is is just that you know, it's not. I mean, overall, it's not the, the the minors are not as stacked with prospects right now as they have been. I'd say in the last couple of years, I, I would say right now you're just a warning that your 2017. We've had so many guys move so fast. Your 2017 top hundred is going to be thinner than your 2016 top hundred, which was thinner than your 2015 top hundred. Um, but the other thing is, is on the pitching side. The pitchers who really stood out to me this year were generally guys who... Mitch Keller had a great year. Mitch Keller was in low A for most of the year. Came up to high A at the very end of the year. A low A pitcher is going to have a really hard time. You know, it's... it's, it's you, The standard to be dominant is much higher for that than it is a guy who's facing double A, triple A talent. Double A, triple A... The guys who had great years this year were more guys who were good pitchers than they were that combination of really great stuff. Some of the guys who were dominant in some ways, I mean, Jose De Leon was dominant at the end of the year. Jose De Leon didn't pitch until he missed a month and a half of the season, and he missed a little bit more time later than that. He had a great finish to the season. Again, Tyler Glasnow, as you said, he was up, he was down, he was hurt. Jose Barrios. Jose Barrios, I mean, and... And when he was up, he was wasn't good. It was still that's that's a baffling one to me. Not that we expected Jose Barrios to step in and be a big league star or anything like that. I mean, he's really. I think our reports have always kind of projected him more as a, a future three slash four. But I, I can't think of anyone who had more of a disconnect over a relatively extended by prospect standards uh, trial. Triple A. Jose Barrios is still Jose Barrios, you know, and then he goes to the big leagues, and the next good Jose Barrios start will be like his third good Jose Barrios start. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I have a story coming out uh, with Blake Snell Mm -hmm. that you can look forward to later this week. We talked about that a little bit where, you know, a lot of these times, you know intuitively that, yes, there's a jump between AAA and majors, but for a lot of these pitchers, you know, I'm hearing the same thing. They say, you know, I almost didn't give the major league hitters enough credit just because of how smart they are. You can't just throw your best pitch. You have to know why you're throwing it, the situation you're throwing at, because these hitters, even the guys we talk about, oh, look at that raw talent, they're so incredibly advanced, and they know what these pitchers, these young pitchers are trying to do with them. And uh, I love Blake Snell's line, and, and I made sure to include this in the story, quick teaser, you see, you know, there's no big poppy in AAA. There's no Miguel Cabrera in AAA. And, you know, these guys who... 
can hit your best pitch and hit it a long way. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that, you know, I think a lot of times we hope for the Jose Fernandez type come up and just dominate right away. But in reality, that's that's once every, I mean, you see that and then you probably have to go back 20 some years to Doc Gooden, maybe 30 years even. I mean, I mean that mm. level, maybe there's a guy or two in between. I was going to say, there's probably a guy, but it is something, it's, it's quite it, rare. It, it's not, you don't get three of those guys a year who jump in there to the majors and just dominate right off the bat. It, it, it takes time. I, it's funny when you mentioned this big poppy, I remember talking to a scout about a game a few years ago, a big league game, and, and David Ortiz is at the plate, and he said, this is the thing that you see at the big league level you never see anywhere else. He was convinced that Ortiz deliberately missed a pitch and looked bad doing it. Just to mess with them. Just so that he would get that pitch in a later situation. And I know Greg Maddox is something where Greg Maddox would do that on occasion. Like, okay, I'm going to throw this now to give a hit because then later I'll be able to use that against him. It's, you know, we just had uh, recently Jonathan Holder came up to the big leagues having just finished... And a reign of terror <laughs> through AAA. A 45-0 to zero strikeout to walk over his last, I can't remember how many outings. He finishes it with the second, I think it was the second last outing in AAA. He strikes out 11 in a row after coming into the game. He strikes out 12 of the 13 batters he faced. It should have been he threw recorded 12 outs. The one guy that reached was because the guy hit a pop fly in the infield and the catcher and first baseman stood there and looked at each other and it dropped. Which just gave Montgomery a chance. I mean, Holder a chance to get one more strikeout. Holder comes up to the big leagues. Second outing he has in the big leagues. Again, this is a guy who hadn't walked a guy in essentially two months, and he's facing the Blue Jays in a key situation, and they kind of throw him out there into the fire. And he's facing Bautista and Donaldson, and what happens? Walks him. And he walks them. And it's not because he walks them because he was wild. They don't chase. They don't chase the pitches that. Everyone in AAA was chasing, and so all of a sudden, he's not missing by much, but he's missing. And boom, the bases are loaded, and the Yankees are in trouble. That's just that difference. I mean, it's like, and if you're Jonathan Holder, who, fine prospect, but 92 to 94, maybe touch a five fastball, a good curveball, but it's a it's a slower curveball. It's one that that works really better. It's 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 one you can get some swing and misses, but it's more of a you hope that you drop it in and they don't swing at it because it locks them up kind of pitch. Got a slider, but again, it's not like a, you know, oh, you can't hit that slide. He doesn't have a pitch that is a absolute, I don't care who you are, I throw this pitch, you're not going to hit it kind of pitch. He may have a fine career, but he just got that example of the stuff that worked for me in AAA isn't going to work for me necessarily in the big leagues. And that happens time and time again. And, you know, on the flip side, you look at Jose De Leon, who didn't walk anyone in his final run-up in AAA, mm-hmm. gets to the majors, his debut outing, nine strikeouts, no walks. And I think one of those interesting things is you can get swings and misses in the strike zone. That's one of those mm-hmm. big separators that once you're watching guys in AA and AAA that you need to kind of look for as a little bit of a tip-off. Are you getting the swings and misses they're chasing out of the zone? Or are you getting them to swing and miss on your pitches in the zone? And it's it's something that does make a difference. It makes a dramatic difference. And again, not that every pitch that you get a swing and miss on in the zone in AAA is going to work in the big leagues, but that works it's much better. It's generally an indicator yes, of some that type. works. I agree completely. That is, it gives you a much better indicator than a guy. If you have an absolutely filthy slider, you may you will still get some swings and misses out of the zone. But what will happen is, is you're getting swings and misses out of the zone because, well, the first thing was is can you get ahead counts? 
because even even big league hitters, if you're sitting, if you could go, you know, fastball 0-1, fastball 0-2, and then you throw a slider, it looks like a fastball that dies out of the zone. Okay, well, that big difference from are you going 1-0-2-0, I don't care how good your slider is, is if you just had to put it in your back pocket at that point. Right. And that's, again, it's funny you got to talk to Blake Snell about this because he's seen it. Blake Snell couldn't be touched last year. Could not be touched last year and had really, it, there was nothing left for Blake Snell to learn in the minors. I mean, there's just, he'd spent a long time in AAA. The Rays been the Rays keep their guys in the minors as pitchers, pitchers especially longer than most teams, and Snell still, even with that, doesn't mean he wasn't up. able to step in and, and contribute, but he don't dominate. Right, he's been up and down. You know, he had a run of really good starts, then a horrible August where he got hit for a, a 390 clip. You know, with a almost a 1,000 OPS over four starts, and then he comes back. You know, and has a nice outing and. You know, again, and, and that was the thing I kept talking about is, you know, look, my stuff's the same. I didn't change my mechanics. You know, nothing changed. I just, I got smarter. And there's, that's the type of thing you can't replicate really until you get to the big well, leagues. The other thing that nowadays is true is, is that, again, unless, if you're a role as Chapman and you want to go and you have a 103 <laughs> mile an hour fastball, you don't necessarily have to change your approach from a time that, you, you know, from game to game. But everyone else, unless your stuff is simply so good that it doesn't matter if they, okay, it's a, in this situation he's throwing me this and I can't hit it. If that's not the case, advanced scouting, pitch effects, everything out there now is so much that, okay, I'm going to watch the last 10 at-bats that he's had, you know, the last 100 at-bats he's had against right-handed hitters where he got to an 0-2 count. What does he throw? And you have it there. Well, you can't do the same thing. You know, we, we used to always talk about, as pitchers, you know, well, you can't do the same thing the first time through the order as the second time through the order. Nowadays, you can't do the same thing that you did to another team, not this team, but to another three team three ago. starts ago <laughs> because they're on top of it. Right. And that's the thing. I, the, the, the point counterpoint that you see, always have seen in baseball, has been amped up because... There is much, much more information out there now than there was 10 years ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that's part of why we see some of the younger guys, you know, a little rockier. And, and, you know, getting back to the minor league all-star team, I mean, you look at Brock Stewart's a guy. You mentioned guys who might not have been these elite prospects. We, we saw a number of guys take jumps forward. And I think it's a testament to, oh, yeah, by the way, guys do get better. I think sometimes people fall into the trap of, oh, he was an X-round pick. That is what he is, and he's never going to be any better than that. Well, we're still talking about Brock Stewart's stuff in command is all better than he was when he signed. Exactly. But he was a third baseman closer when exactly. he signed. It's exactly. a different guy. Exactly, and that's the thing. There's always cases where, hey, these guys do Brandon, Brandon Woodruff. Woodruff. You know, even Chance Adams. He was a reliever. I right. mean, I mean, all these guys got Brandon better. Woodruff was too. I mean, the interesting thing is, is that when you look at our, our minor league all-star team, the guys who had the best seasons in the minors that we saw among prospects, because... Again, we don't, you know, I don't think Jose Martinez made our first team last year. He set a PCL batting record because he was older right. and all that. But we have five starting pitchers on the on the first team. The interesting thing about it is, is that Chance Adams, Brock Stewart, and Brandon Woodruff, three of those five are college pitchers who were not primarily starting pitchers in college. And all fifth round or later, because it was a, a fifth, a sixth, and eleventh, I believe. Yeah, I mean, this is. Kind of crazy stuff. I mean, it really is. Brandon Woodruff is a guy who, 
took a big step forward this year. Has always had potential, but this is the year that it all kind of came together. And he really came together partly through tragedy. He lost his uh, brother in a tragic ATV accident. Fought, I mean, you know, you don't fight through that, I guess, in really ways. You, you deal with that as best you can. But as he did that, he went out and dominated this year. And again, that is the sign when you say about people, guys get better. Brandon Woodruff got better. Brock Stewart got better. I remember seeing him, you know, in the Cal League and he just different pitcher just kept getting it wasn't there very long but you saw it and then all of a sudden even in AAA the guy when I was watching him when he came up with the Dodgers was a different guy even then that started the you know April with Ranch Cucamonga I mean you could just see it that's the story I've got that I'm working on is is that the Dodgers this year graduated Julio Urias graduated Kenta Maeda which by our standards he was he was rookie eligible so he was in the book you know he the Dodgers get credit for him as a prospect coming into the year they traded away Jarrell Cotton. They traded away Frankie Montas. They traded away Grant Holmes. That is, of coming into the year, that is essentially five of their top seven pitching prospects. The other ones that you could throw in there, Jose De Leon, who you've already mentioned, and Yadier Alvarez, who they signed in the offseason uh, out of Cuba. Five of their seven are no longer there, and the Dodgers still have a very deep, I, I think that they have a very deep minor league pitching staff. I keep telling everyone who will listen, Trevor Oaks is legit. I am telling, I've been trying to tell everyone for two years now. You know, my favorite, uh, I was talking with... Uh, He's with, another guy who got better. A yeah, lot better. a lot better. You know, he, my favorite Trevor Oaks story, I was talking with a longtime pitching coach, manager in the big leagues, who's now doing some, some scouting, and I mentioned, I made a comment to the effect of, you know, hey, Oaks is really holding his own, and the guy looks at me and says... Well, it's easy to hold your own when you've got good stuff, and he's got good stuff. I mean, he's not just a pitch ability right. guy. He's got three His, good pitches he, across the board. He, he really does. <laughs> I, mean, that, I do think right now, I mean, this is a long ways away, but I think that the Dodgers' high-class A affiliate, Rancho, assuming, I think they've already locked up again for next, but Rancho Cucamonga should enter the year, if everyone stays healthy, with the best pitching staff in the minors because they will have I think like Elsinore might give him a run for their money with Anderson Espinosa, Jacob Nix, Logan Allen, potentially Cal Quantrill. But I guess that's a good that's a good one. Yeah, Eric right. Lauer maybe. That's the funny <laughs> thing about that is is that may be, and the funny thing also about that is is that that right there because Kyle we we throw him the deep end we gave him the Cali to do and the Cali top twenty this year it's a ways away but pretty thin <laughs> that right there and then you say the Rancho staff the Rancho staff. <coughs> You're looking at Walker Bueller, Mitchell White, Mitchell White, Yadier Alvarez, Yadier Alvarez, uh, uh, AJ Puckett. No, Puckett's the Royals. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, no, uh, there's two more. There's two more. Uh, San- Dennis Santana, who's an interesting sleeper, who was in Great Lakes this year, and Bueller. There's one other guy coming. Who I'll I'll Just think kidding. I'll think of, but it's a five man rotation. It's all five legit prospects. It's again. That right there, those 10 pitchers right there is better. That's right there is better than the Cal League Top 20 is going to be this year by, by a pretty large margin. Yeah, yeah, it was not a great year for the league. But that's why there are no Cal League uh, members on our minor league all-star team this year. Not on the first team, no. Yeah. Um, I think you know one guy who might have had an argument was Luis Ortiz, but not in a year where there's so many deep pitching. Although he's right, done the tough thing well. about that is, is that you got Mancada, you know, because you're really talking second baseman, and you got Mancada. And then Ozzy Albies ends up being like he really legitimately qualifies a second because he slid to second, and your your Southern League batting champ in a league you want to talk about a league where it was really hard to hit. Yeah, he was one of two guys who hit over three hundred in that league, and I believe Tyler O'Neill may have been the only guy in that league to slug five hundred. I believe that's correct. That's 
It's not just the FSL where it's crazy hard to hit. The Southern totally. League has, has yeah. reached that as well. Yeah. But, well, I hate to wrap this up, but unfortunately I've got to head now, and so we're not going to have Kyle do this, just sit here run solo. But for Kyle Glazer and John Manuel, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.